0: Hey Village Church audience, this is Pastor Tim and joining me today is Pastor Michael and we're here to address recent questions that we've received based on the Supreme Court decision and Pastor Michael's last couple of messages. We want you to know that we're going to be addressing many of the questions today in this podcast that we've received, but we know we can't address them all, so if you have your own questions, your own concerns that we come close to answering but not exactly where you're... uh, Needing some extra help, feel free to email us. Both of our emails are uh, found on our church website, which is www.vcob.org. All right, Pastor Michael, you ready for the first question? Let's do it. Can I go to a gay wedding?
1: You're starting off with a biggie.
0: Um, well, we've heard a lot of these.
1: Yeah. So before you can even, I like, think, answer a question like this, uh, we just have to acknowledge that this is one of the most relationally loaded questions. Um, it's sons and daughters to their mom or their dad. It is moms and dads to their children. It is best friends being asked to be the best man in their, um, in their wedding. And so um, r- right off the bat, we just have to acknowledge that it's messy and it's hard. And our desire is to give an answer that transcends relationships and really tries to get to the point. And so I think this gets really fuzzy in people's minds because they are really compassionate or because they truly from the deepest parts of their soul, um, love the, the people who are getting married. Um, but there's a question that I have been asked and I want to just give it back to you. And, and it has really helped shape this issue for me. And here's the question. Are you comfortable celebrating that which makes God sorrowful. Mm. And, um, I, I don't think it is possible to go to any wedding, hetero or homo, and have it not be a celebration. That's the point. Your presence at the wedding, um, is a nonverbal affirmation, um, of what is happening. And if you, um, do not believe in your conscience, um, that, uh, God rejoices over a homosexual marriage and if you truly believe that, then you cannot go celebrate that which, God's, that which makes God sorrowful. As I say that, I am well aware of the relational tension and strain that that's going to put on, honestly, people in my own church. Um, and this is one of those issues that is just, frankly, hard. And you really get down to a bigger issue here, which is: um, Am I willing to upset or to even unintentionally hurt someone I love in my family if it means I have, if it means a Jesus?
0: Uh, that's that's
1: hard. Tension. That's the that is the tension. And in a increasingly morally confusing world. Um, We are going to be asked to make decisions that are going to hurt people we love. They may not understand the decision. They may not agree with the decision. But at the end of the day, I need to step back and say, my greatest desire in the world is to please Jesus. Number one, that's it. And if pleasing Jesus means I'm going to unintentionally cause someone else pain, I have no
0: choice. As a follower of Jesus, you have to choose to you have Jesus. to. You have
1: to. And I hate this part because I don't really want to make anyone unhappy. Right. It's right?
0: always better to have, be loved and be affirmed yourself.
1: Oh, my goodness, yes. And so um, I think Jesus, uh, we mentioned this in the last week's sermon, and uh, he has navigated this tension amazingly. He stands before Jerusalem and privately weeps over the sin of his people. He loves them. And at the same time, he can go out with tax collectors and prostitutes and drunks and eat with them and enjoy them. They loved him. They loved to be with him. And so somehow this ability to um, privately weep and publicly, truly with integrity, celebrate, Christians have to figure this out.
0: And it's not being a hypocrite. It's being... Following Jesus, following his example.
1: Yep, and somehow his private weeping didn't negate his public celebration, and his public celebration did not negate his private weeping. We're just not that simple. And being a Christian is learning how to hold this tension. The tension is, um, I am trying to cultivate a conscience that is sensitive to sin and at the same time, I need to cultivate um, the ability to live in a world that is filled with sin and to not judge that world or condemn that world, but to truly, from the deepest parts of my soul, love that world. Um, uh, so this is just a Christian um, tension that we have to hold. Jesus held it, um, and we got to figure out how to do it. But when it comes down to can I go to uh, a gay wedding, um, for the Christian who believes that the Bible says it's a sin i can't find a way to go to it and not celebrate and come back to the original question Um, can you are you comfortable celebrating that which makes god sorrowful for me that kind of gets through all the relational chaos and gets right down to the point of the issue
0: it cuts through the culture and comes right to you know the foundational question you know what am i supporting here yep all right well here's our second question what if my LGBT friend or family member demands, and and that's the key word, demands that I support their lifestyle for our relationship to continue? Awesome question.
1: And if you're listening to this and you don't think that this is a regular circumstance, it is. So on the pastoral end of this, um, I've been helping um, a number of people navigate this very issue. And uh, the more heated this gets politically, the more pointed this issue becomes personally. So this is an issue coming up um, more and more. And at the core, you have a, um, a son or a daughter um, who is demanding a mom and a dad um, not just um, support but a firm um, their LGBT lifestyle, and uh, we have Christians who believe that the Bible says that those things are sin. And so, what do you do? How do these two people, you know, come together? And uh, I, I want to just call one thing what it is. I, I don't care who it is, whether it's a Christian to a non-Christian, LGBT to a Christian, or a Christian to LGBT. When anybody looks at another person and says, in order for us to have a relationship, you must agree with me.
0: That sounds man- manipulative.
1: It is manipulative. It's bullying. And I don't care who who it comes from and who it goes toward. It is a bully move. It's a manipulative move. It is one of those moves that says, I'll only accept you if. It's not love. Love is unconditional. This is contingent love. Contingent love says we can be in a relationship as long as you agree with me. And I just want to call out both ends of the spectrum. Some people will go to the LGBT community and say, Jesus only loves you if you get rid of this sin. Now, get rid of this sin, then you can come to Jesus. And that's a bully move also. And at the end of the day, God's love for us is unconditional. He looks at us very clearly and he says, come to me as you are broken, whatever your sin might be. And there's this simple principle, it's Jesus first. And then when he gives you the Holy Spirit, now you have the power and the capacity to actually change or to deal with things. But at the end of the day, I will not put one demand on somebody um, for me to love them. Um, love is unconditional. And um, I would say that this view of love is um, not love. Um, It's mean. And it also doesn't take into consideration, I think, what is a fundamental um, uh, just aspect of Christianity, and that is this. We as Christians, to be a Christian means that you have the capacity to disagree with something that is most central in someone's life and your disagreement does not change your love for them. For the Christian, we have the capacity to be married to, to be best friends with, to be a father to, or a son to, uh, a daughter or a mother to somebody who we fundamentally disagree with on important issues. And yet that disagreement does not change our love, um, doesn't decrease our love. Um, I can go out and eat with somebody, that I fundamentally disagree with in this level and have an amazing time. My love for them is unaffected by this. I don't really quite understand this movement in the LGBT community to demand affirmation and agreement before a relationship can happen. Um, I would just say that's a, not a loving approach for a community that wants love to win.
0: Wants to be loved and, and accepted.
1: Totally. And uh, I would just flip this on anybody who says this to a Christian. And I've had my, I found myself in this exact situation. Um, I'll look at them and say, "I, I hear you. Okay. I hear that you want to be loved and affirmed and accepted. And right off the bat, I want to say to you this, I love you. I affirm you and I accept you. But here's my question for you. You deny my relationship with Jesus. You may say, if you're not a Christian, your Jesus isn't real, or I don't believe in your Jesus, So, because you disagree with me on what is the most essential and foundational aspect of my life, right? Is it okay if I look at you and say, until you accept Jesus as I do, we can't be friends. That would be manipulative. It would be judgmental. It would be a bully move. And in the same way, I just don't think it's fair for someone to look at a Christian and say, I will only be your son or your daughter or your mother or your father or your friend if you accept this about me. I think it just shows a fundamental misunderstanding of the Christian's call and capacity to disagree and yet love. And as Christians, we do this all the time. We have we so many theological differences mm-hmm. and practical differences and lifestyle differences. And yet we somehow look at each other and say, what, we, what do we have in common? We're human, we're made in God's image. If you're a brother in Christ, we have the shed blood of Christ that covers our sins and has unified us. I mean, Christians should be pros at disagreeing and yet not compromising our love for someone in theory. Doesn't always happen that way, but that's
0: what it's supposed to be. And I just want to be clear with our audience today: we're not talking from a theoretical, philosophical point of view. We're t- we're talking about this is personal mm-hmm. to you. I-, I can tell this is a something that you're personally dealing with, and you have personally help people walk down these paths. So it's it's not, you know, theoretical.
1: No, not at all. I mean. Uh, Most people don't understand how much pastors navigate this issue, let alone what happens in our personal lives, walking through, um, yeah, just people we love and adore um, navigate these issues. And whether it is my um, friends who struggle with same-sex attraction, whether it is my friends who have given themselves um, to this community and they are full on um, in the LGBT community, whether it is uh, so many scenarios, it's just heavy. And I I just want to say, look, my love for you, whoever you are, it's not contingent. And I don't need you to agree with me. And I think love would win if you could do the same for me. And I think that would be a much more that would beautiful That be
0: a great world. place to continue the conversation. Yeah, amen. Well, let's pull back, and let me ask you a little bigger question. And we've had this thrown out. I've had this thrown out at me a couple of times. What about supporting companies that are, quote, unquote, pro-gay? Yeah. I mean, we've got several of those companies out there, Probably shouldn't go into naming them, but mm-hmm. you know the audience knows who we're talking about.
1: Yeah, um, I, uh, I'll just give you a simple answer from my perspective. The jury is out on the big picture. Um, I think there's one principle that I found to be really helpful, and it's simply um, this: uh, organizations will take stances on this issue and i don't know why but every organization feels like they need to position themselves in one way or another and if i'm only going to support organizations that agree with me i will be eating at chick-fil-a for the rest of my life okay (laughs) um and so here's where i make the distinction um there's an organization's stance and then there are we'll call it products or campaigns where all of the proceeds go to supporting a specific cause. Maybe it's a pro-choice cause or an LGBT cause or another cause that I may not be super pumped about and uh, violates my moral conscience, which is cultivated by the word of God. And, And so what I would say is avoid any kind of campaign where proceeds go towards supporting causes.
0: You're talking about exclusively Exclusively supporting Exclusively
1: supporting. So if Burger King decided, um, every Whopper that's sold today is going to go fund Planned Parenthood, well then I wouldn't go that day to buy a Whopper. I might go buy just a cheeseburger or something of the sorts. Um, Some Christians in their conscience will feel the need to boycott those organizations. And uh, they are free to do that. And this is where I would say, you need to follow your conscience. um, Prioritize not um, exclusively or, or focus funding on Um, specific issues that you disagree with, but you know, Apple's a great example. I'm an Apple freak. I love Apple as an organization. They support the LGBT community. Their CEO is uh, a homosexual, Tim Cook. And, and, uh, and yet I love their products and I use their products and I'll continue to use their products until they ask me to violate my conscience Um, because
0: they're, I'm I'm right there with you.
1: They're the best. And Android users were praying for you. It's cool. (laughs) I understand if it's a little fuzzy, the podcast, it's not us, it's your Android. So, um, but that that's where I think there is a, a distinction to be made between the organization's stance and the actual, maybe a campaign or fund that supports a specific event. Now, if a company starts marketing immorality to children, that is when I would probably boycott a company. This and that f- would be
0: your conscience. That, that this would, would be, be my you conscience. Would, you would be. You wouldn't be forcing that on others, but that's yep. be where you would be.
1: Yes, absolutely. And honestly, as soon as a company goes down that route, they're going to find millions of Christians boycotting them. And I, think, I think, so. think it's wise for most companies to just avoid marketing um, controversial issues to children because it's just not going to go well for them in the public square. That's my opinion. Um, I'm not there.
0: Let me ask you a, an opinion question here. And we've again we've had this question before why does it seem that there's so many christians that they're on the attack and they're you know they're going after other christians when we talk about our position on the lgbt issues
1: yeah the christian police <laughs> <laughs> they they're everywhere um so if you're the christian police i want to i want to just tell you i love you um and uh I'm frustrated with you. (laughs) I think I can say that in good conscience. And so I think here's what happens. Uh, A Christian goes onto Facebook. They might be frustrated with what's happening culturally. They post an article or a statement. And um, I have not met too many Christians who get up in the morning and they say the following, I'm going to sin in what I put on Facebook. Um, And so they get up and they post this thing. Well, then the Christian police come in and they feel like they need to vindicate all of the Christian community and protect the reputation of Jesus Christ. And, And so what the Christian police does is they see somebody do something they don't believe is inappropriate. So then they publicly go on Facebook and they do something further inappropriate. And so they're already concerned that the name of Jesus is being misrepresented. And here's my question for the Christian police then why are you going on Facebook and further misrepresenting the name by cultivating a spirit of disunity, of slander, of name calling, of sarcasm? I mean, the Christian police are pretty brutal and Mm. they are quick, they are quick to be unkind to fellow Christian brothers. I just, I think there's a better way. And the better way is to address somebody offline, privately, privately, which I believe is probably, let's just say a more biblical route, um, I can't imagine Jesus publicly rebuking somebody in this way and creating more public, sh- you know, just dishonor and shame around the Christian community. And so I would just tell people get offline. If you really love this person, then you will address them in a way that is honorable and that actually draws into repentance. So let's say you're frustrated with something I put on Facebook, probably calling me a name or being sarcastic with me or being critical of me won't get me to repent. So do you want to make a public point, or do you want me to repent of my sin and grow closer to Jesus Christ? So I've just found the Christian police, um, by and large, to be angry, defensive, and in their desire to protect the reputation of Jesus, make more of a mockery of the name of Jesus. And I would encourage us to be a bit more biblical, and let's just have an offline conversation.
0: I remember last week in your message, you, you addressed this, and you, you, you asked the question, have, have I ever been won over by someone being (laughs) mean-spirited, calling me names, being belligerent, have they ever won me over to their side? And your response was no. (laughs) So why would I think if I did that to them, I would ever win them to my cause, to my side, or to my way of thinking?
1: And that, that begs the question, what is the motive of the Christian police? Is the motive to win the person? If so, you do that privately is it to protect the reputation of Jesus. If so, you don't create a public atmosphere of disunity because Jesus apparently has a high view of unity. Um, I can't think of any reason um, where Christians are attacking one another publicly. Here's a better route. Maybe if uh, you talk to them privately, you can tell them, hey, here's some reasons why I think you should probably recant this. I think what would speak much more highly of Jesus is if somebody posted something publicly that maybe was inappropriate, they were addressed offline, and then they publicly went on and said, you know what, some loving Christian um, brother or sister told me this wasn't honor to Jesus, and I want to just publicly repent and say, I'm taking it down, I was wrong. Yeah, That would be huge. That would be huge. And let me tell you, that will never happen if you just go after him on Facebook, just Mm -hmm. a thought.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So do we just overlook the sin of my sexual immoral Non-Christian friends. What do I do about my non-Christian friends that are engaged in some behavior that we feel that is inappropriate or goes against Scripture?
1: Yep, great question. So um, the main the main point of my sermon this past Sunday it's called "Judge Not." Sometimes is that there's one community of people the Bible says we are not allowed to judge. By judge, it means to look down on with condemnation, to cast a, a verdict over their life, and uh, there's one group of people we're not allowed to do that to, and that is those who have never trusted in Jesus, because we can never expect somebody without the Spirit of God to act like somebody who has the Spirit of God. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, the Apostle Paul says this, "'For what have I to do with judging outsiders or those who aren't Christians?' Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? So if you're going to get judged, you get judge with Christians. God judges those outside. And so I think we come back to this issue again of learning how to weep privately and celebrate publicly. Um, learning how to have a, a high sensitivity to sin no matter where it's at. Um, but also having such a high love and compassion for people who are in that sin that we have the ability to celebrate and enjoy them, not necessarily if they're in the midst and the process of that sin, but just as humans, eating with them, enjoying them, being friends with them. And and I think this is part of that, that tension. And we have to remember, if we really want repentance to happen over the sin, it will not happen until they trust in Jesus. So my encouragement is, Um, keep your sensitivity to sin high, Um, retain your ability to enjoy people and to celebrate with them and to eat with them um, who do not love Jesus, to be their friends and to engage them thoroughly uh, and pray your head off and talk about Jesus a lot. I'll keep coming back with my friends who are not Christians. Um, A conversation I've had to have with all of them is this, look, I'm a pastor, I love Jesus. So if you wanna be friends with me, you have to hear me talk about the things I love, but I wanna hear you talk about the things you love. And that's what real love does. It Mm -hmm. appreciates and values the other person for who they are and what's important to them. Uh, Real love doesn't put conditions around a friendship. And I would just say, um, you have no space for judgment. You have no space for condemnation. You have tons of space for compassion and love. And I think that compassion over their soul should lead you to deep, deep prayer um, privately.
0: I loved how you said this, uh, how you addressed this in the message last Sunday. You said that when we pronounce judgment on our non-Christian friends, we're taking God's place. Mm. And that's not our place to take. Mm. God is the one that will have the final say. He will have the final judgment. And our position now is to love people yep. and to love them to Christ, yep,
1: absolutely, and and that doesn't mean just nonchalantly, unemotionally put up with every piece of sin in their life. Um, but what it does mean is that even if I do address something in their life that's harmful, I'm not doing it um, because I'm expecting them to follow God's law. They can't. They right. need to trust in Jesus before they do that. Um, but it does mean that you know sometimes I you know sometimes with my non-Christian friends I might look at them and say this is going to hurt you. Um, and I can do that in a spirit that is non-judgmental, non-condemning. Um, but this is a this is a very 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 tough tough tension. Um, but I would just go back to learning what Jesus does. He weeps privately, celebrates publicly, and the two don't contradict each other. All right.
0: Well, what about again hypothetically here? Mm-hmm. What about my great friend, maybe my best friend? who even bears the name of Jesus. They claim that they're a follower of Jesus, but this person leans fully into all kinds of various sins and even defends their behaviors. Uh, Again, we're speaking specifically on their sexual behaviors. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, this is, again, this is one of the hard parts. You, the simple principle is walk away. Um, so first Corinthians chapter five, um, again, Paul writes, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all, meaning the sexually immoral of the, of the world or greedy or swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. So he's saying, first of all, um, stay away from sexually immoral people. I'm not talking about non-Christians. Okay. Be around all the sexually immoral non-Christians you want to. We're talking
0: about people who claim to be followers of Christ. Right.
1: He goes on, he says, But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, meaning the name of Jesus Christ, your brother in Christ, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. And then he goes on later and he says this, Purge the evil person from among you. And by the evil person, he does not mean the non-Christian. He means the Christian who is an unrepentant and belligerent, belligerent sin. And I want to make a, a, a clear distinction here because um, some people might be hearing this and thinking, you know, I have been addicted to masturbation or pornography for years, and am I this person? Mm. And I think there's a difference between the person who has addictions and, and is struggling and feels deep remorse. Um, Maybe they haven't found the strength to really publicly confess in some arenas like to their pastor or to their family or to their friends that would be necessary for them to overcome this. There's there's that category, which is just a gut-wrenching struggle. And then there are those who know what God wants, And they just kind of like, you know, I'll do whatever I want. Nobody tells me what to do. It's belligerent. Mm. It is disrespectful to God's word. Um, They could quote it to you and say, I know what God says, but I'm going to do this anyways." That sounds
0: like a dangerous place. That's a
1: very dangerous place. And so the Bible says when you find those people, he calls them evil. And he says, get them out of your community. And the Bible gives a process for this. It's not just a shunning, it's a confrontation of sin. You bring a friend with you. If they don't repent in these steps, you bring um, one of the leaders of the church with you. I mean, there's, uh, the Bible is very gracious in its confrontation of sin. It's not just a, we're done with you, shun mm-hmm. you. Um, the goal of scripture and the goal of confrontation is always restoration and repentance. Right. Um, but if they won't, then you don't even eat with such a one. And this is where practically I would just say, stop hanging out with them. Um, don't be around them. Leave them alone. Walk away. And it's just that simple. It's hard. Uh, mm-hmm. They may not understand it. Um, but you could always, you know, read this to them and say, I'm confined by scripture and I have to, but I love you. It doesn't mean you have to be a jerk. It doesn't mean you have to be condescending. It doesn't mean you have to do anything unkind. But you can let them know, like, you know, this friendship is is over um, until you can um, trust Uh, In Christ (laughs) and Mm. stop doing this.
0: Yeah. So there's the situation with our friends. And Mm. the saying goes you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. (laughs) So let's take it to the next step. Yeah. What if I have a family member who also claims to be a follower of Jesus? but is totally engaged and is leaning heavy into all these various kinds of sins and justifies their behavior. Yeah. How do we address those situations? I'm going to plead the fifth. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be the easy one. We're not letting you off that easy. Thanks for that.
1: Um, This is one of those scenarios where I genuinely won't give an answer to because every circumstance is so unique when it comes to family um so for example, it's not as easy sometimes as don't eat with such a one. So what if you have a wife who is married to a husband who claims the name of Jesus and he is in belligerent sin? Well, she is um confined by her marital vows and yet she's also confined by this scripture. So like which one wins? Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to presume right now to answer the question, not because I'm trying to evade it, but because every circumstance is so unique and so different. And my general rule for this is, can I hear your story first? And then we can start navigating and working through some of those details. So if you're in this situation, um, this is hard. Uh, This is one of the hardest ones.
0: And this is when it's really, really important to talk to a pastor, talk to a Christian counselor, Share your story, your unique circumstances rather than just us give you a blanket answer yeah. do do x, y, z yeah there's there's no easy answer on, on this one. so so what do I do when people are just debating these topics on social media what how how do I as as a follower of Christ, and see these things go on where do i where do I step in and how do I step in and how do I address these? Yep.
1: So I think generally vitriol is a good word for what happens online. And you may even post something, get a lot of positive comments, but there might be 50 people who read it and are personally offended and frustrated. And you know? probably will say nothing. Probably will say nothing. And that's, that's what's so hard about it. And I think generally what I would say is if you want to win somebody, you'll win them one-on-one human contact talking in person. Um, That would be one of the best ways to win somebody. Um, Putting stuff on Facebook, I think there's a benefit to it depending on your position. So, for example, if you're the pastor of a church, it can be good for you to put things on um, your Facebook because you're leading a community. If you're the Christian police and you're just out there trying to make issues and trying to protect Jesus from your computer – um, it might be best for you to win people over one-on-one, or if you want to stay in the digital platform, then do it behind the scenes and chatting and privately so that you don't bring the whole world into your disagreement. Um, I think that's hard for people, but I would go back to Bethany Thomas's post uh, on our blog at www.vcob.org. And uh, it's about first comes Jesus, then comes repentance and read that and understand, um, do you want to win people or do you want to push them away? If you want to win people, um, you will stop some of these public debates because I have not read many of them that are kind. Um, yeah. That's the thing
0: that disappoints me is, yeah. is the the spirit in which these conversations are carried on carried on, on Facebook or yep. e- other social medias. It's just mean spirited.
1: It is. And it's not just Christians or not just the LGBT community or not just generally people who support one side or the other. Uh, I'm generally frustrated with everybody and I guess, like, personally, I'm thinking, what happened to the day when, the days when we could just talk about an issue and disagree and agree to disagree? Now, I get these are much more personal, but, like, um, name-calling and getting angry because somebody doesn't agree never helps make the point and never mm-hmm. changes someone's mind. And um, I, I personally, I would rather win people slowly than push them away quickly
0: um, through a heated, angry debate.
1: And I love to debate, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. right? But the real question is do I want to win them or do I want to make a point?
0: Mm-hmm. So that's that's how we address it with our friends that are believers, but what mm-hmm. about the non-Christian friends that we have or Facebook friends that we have that are sometimes mean-spirited to to Christians, mm-hmm. to other followers of Christ. Yep,
1: just just as there is a, I would say, a smaller aspect of the Christian community that feels permission to slander non-Christians and the LGBT community and just to be flat out mean, there is a subset of the LGBT community as well that feels an increasing freedom to say terrible things about Christians. Um, and uh, I would just say if you're on the receiving end of either of these, uh, very simply, walk away. Um, If someone starts calling names, defending your point, defending yourself, whatever it might be, will do no good at all. Um, Jesus, I just love his approach. When he senses people's hearts are hard, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, instead of defending his point, he tells them parables. And the disciples say, why do you tell them parables? And he basically says to confuse them. (laughs) because <laughs> their hearts are hard. You know, it's like he doesn't even bother to defend himself or to make his point because he knows when someone's heart is hard, like there's no point in talking to them. And by the time somebody's calling you a name or persecuting you or slandering you, I mean, there's no discussion, right? right. They're, mean, they're
0: listening, ears are turned off.
1: It's done. And then what happens is we get all insecure. Oh, I can't believe they said something bad about me. We get angry. We want to go back on and just like, um, like prove our point and be sassy and mean or whatever. And, and uh, I would just say, look, as a Christian, Uh, Every culture has to deal with um, uh, the things that are not popular that Jesus taught in that culture. I mean, if you're in China, you're getting killed or imprisoned for believing in Jesus Christ and just basic things, right? And you know what happens in China? They're not surprised. They they don't just, oh, my gosh, they don't like what I believe. They don't like me. You know, Jesus was pretty clear. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they slandered me, they're going to slander you. So when it happens, instead of getting all worried and insecure, you can be like, Jesus told me about this. He warned me. If I'm really going to believe what he teaches in the world, it's just not going to be easy. And I I love this. Here's um, from Matthew. He says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you, Matthew 5, 10 to 12. And uh, I think we just need to get a little bit more thick-skinned. understand that even if you hold a position with love and kindness, and wisdom, and savvy, uh, there will still be some who will persecute you. Um, and we need to remember, whatever verbal persecution we experience now is nothing compared to what is happening around the globe right. to Christians. Right, we have it a lot
0: easier than most Christians oh my goodness.
1: in other worlds. I almost... I'm hesitant to apply Matthew five and what Jesus says about persecution to what we experience in America. Uh, because this is like on a scale of one to 10, like a 1.2 compared to what some people are going through. And so I would just say it's okay. If you were an idiot, then you need to repent. But if they accuse you falsely, um, if you were loving truly and they still persecute or slander you, I'd walk away, and you just rest and know Jesus is proud of you. You represented him well, and he told you, if you do it my way, there are going to be some people who don't like you. That's okay.
0: Well, it's been a great conversation, and we are so thankful that the audience has been listening in. And if, again, you have questions that we haven't addressed, please email us. Our email addresses are on our website, www.vcob.org. We'd love to hear from you. If you like the conversation, let us know. If there's questions that we haven't addressed, let us know that as well. Thanks for joining us today. See you soon.